I mean, it's kind of cute, right? Hello, and welcome back to Kind of Cute. And if you are new here, welcome. My name is Bailey Evan. I'm your host. And on Kind of Cute, we discuss articles from the cut and my general pop culture musings. Y'all, the big news of the day, Taylor Swift announced that she is re-recording her Fearless album and coming out with new songs that she actually wrote when she was in the 16 to 18-year-old age range. I am so excited. I posted about it on my Instagram, but the Fearless concert was just one of the best concert experiences ever. We didn't even have the best seats. We were like on the side. We paid like $100 for each of them. And I think I thought that was so expensive. And now like thinking about what I've spent on concert tickets, I'm like, oh, that was a steal. And it was just such a magical night. It was my sister Danny's first concert. Was it your first concert, Kenzie? I think it was both of my sister's first concert. Seeing the joy in their eyes. She had such amazing costume changes. Ugh, I just loved it. So I'm very excited for her to be able to release her new masters under her own name. Have control of them again. Fuck Scooter Braun. Uh, she is probably going to be releasing it on April 9th because she capitalized letters in her Instagram post and when you take those capitalized letters they spell out April 19th and of course 419 adds up to 13 she loves 13 I think we kind of knew that Fearless might be the first album that she re-released because of her love story commercial that Ryan Reynolds did for Match she lent her song to that so we've already heard a little bit of a snippet from Love Story but yeah I just got a little emotional about it because Oh, I forgot to mention uh, during that concert, like I said, we weren't in the best seats, but we happened to be on this aisle that when Taylor left the B stage, she came up through our aisle and she stopped and she hugged my little sister, Danny. And it was just so crazy. We were like out of everyone in the stadium right now, or it was an arena. Like the fact that she came down this island, we had no idea. This was before I was like scouring Twitter to like figure out the best place to sit. Like now I've become a full blown psychotic about finding good concert seats back then I was so naive it was one of my first like big arena concerts um so yeah I'm just and it's so cute how the picture for it kind of mirrors the one of fearless but she's looking forward instead of back oh I'm just emotional about it like I said sometimes I can you know rag on Taylor but I really am joyful for her that she's able to do this and I'm very excited I still stand by that on March 19th there will be some sort of release but that's just a theory because I still think there's a third part of the trilogy to the folklore evermore it just doesn't feel right that there's only two of them so I'm standing by that prediction I'm probably wrong because it would be kind of crazy for her to release the re-recording and then so soon after release a new album but you know anything can happen these days okay next up I have to talk about what was the most talked about thing on my podcast I've never gotten more responses or comments on something y'all people were up in arms about me talking about peanut butter in the fridge (laughs) and one of the themes of the messages I got was that it's totally fine to have peanut butter in the fridge if it's natural because those don't have preservatives whatever fair I'll give you that I also keep my natural peanut butter out of the fridge. Uh, I get the one from Trader Joe's and I keep that out of the fridge. But I know people are saying it's because it helps with the ease of separation. So you don't have to stir it as much when the oils separate. 
Okay, fine, valid. The issue is the one Selena had in her fridge was Jif, plain old Jif. It wasn't natural Jif, nothing, okay? So the other thing was someone commented that they like the way their peanut butter tastes cold. And again, I can also get behind that because one of my favorite snacks is to take dates, put peanut butter in them, dip them in melted chocolate chips, put mountain sea salt on top, and pop them in the freezer. So I like that form of cold peanut butter. I love a frozen Reese's cup. Again, it goes back to the spreadability to me. So to really mind fuck me on this, I'm sitting minding my own business after we recorded last week. And lo and behold, a TurboTax commercial comes on. And mind you, this isn't the point of this TurboTax commercial. I think it's about a kid like still living with his parents. But this homeboy takes out a peanut butter jar from the fridge. And I'm like, is the world just trolling me right now? Because I do not understand. But to anyone who does put their peanut butter in the fridge, know that I'm not judging you. I was just genuinely confused. I totally get if it's natural. If you keep your GIF in the fridge, I think you're a little bit weird and maybe try, you know, transitioning that to the pantry and maybe your life will change and you can come back and let me know. Speaking of commercials, obviously the Super Bowl was this past weekend. Uh, some of my favorites were the Timmy Chalamet one, but I thought that was an interesting choice that he was playing, you know, a modern day Edward Scissorhands. And obviously Johnny Depp played the original Edward Scissorhands. Is it Scissorhands? Scissorhands? Scissor? I don't know why that sounded weird to me. Um, and glorifying anything that Johnny Depp was in right now is kind of questionable to me, but at least it wasn't Johnny Depp himself. Timmy did a really great job. Winona was stunning, beautiful, loved her in it, you know, kind of reprising her role from the film. My other favorite one was the Michael B. Jordan Amazon one where it was like you, your Amazon is shaped like Michael B. Jordan. And can you imagine guys? Like I, I, I know everyone just took a moment to imagine when they saw that commercial men, straight men, straight lesbian women everyone I think must have looked at that and been like you know I wouldn't mind (laughs) it was just incredible I loved that one so much and then of course there was the Dolly one where she did instead of nine to five it was five to nine and it was a commercial for Squarespace and It kind of made my soul die a little bit because I really hate that my podcast is relegated to my 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. pretty much. And I wish it could be like, you know, my my 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. So that kind of hurt the soul a little bit. And I thought the fragrance was going to be more pushed during that commercial, but it was really subtle. It was just like a picture of Dolly Parton on the back of a magazine. And then it had a QR code for her perfume. And don't worry, guys, I went on Dolly Fragrance or whatever that site was that I told you guys about last week and I ordered that scent. I paid $10 for a deluxe sample. You know how I was like, if it's just like a little rinky-dink thing, like the thing you can get from Sephora, I'm going to be pissed. Well, guys, let me tell you, it's a little rinky-dink thing like what you can get from Sephora and I paid $10 for it. (laughs) So I hope you're happy because if that podcast, this podcast did not exist, I wouldn't have done that. But I felt like I had to give a review of it and just the experience of receiving it. I always have these really off moments of grandeur when I'm like convinced that 
somehow I'm going to get like a personally signed version of the perfume from Dolly. I'm not kidding. I think about this all the time. Like when I order something, I'm like, maybe they'll like throw in something extra or like maybe I'll get like a nice little handwritten note. And honestly, guys, sometimes it happens. Like sometimes I order from like a small business and they throw something extra in and I'm like, all of those like delusions on my part kind of paid off. (laughs) So I will let you know the second that comes in, because I'm very excited to review it, even though I'm not a big fragrance gal. So don't take my word for anything about it. But, you know, you'll get my opinion. Well, you got dreams and you know they matter. Be your own boss. Climb your own ladder. That moment's getting closer by the day. And you're in the same boat with a lot of your friends. Lots of ideas you all believe in. The tide's gonna turn and it's all gonna roll your way. Working five to nine, making something of your own now. And it feels so fine to build a business from your own. I also have to comment on the Reply All series called Test Kitchen that they are doing as a Spotify exclusive. So you have to go listen to it on Spotify. It's another podcast. Only one episode is out so far. I think another one might be dropping today or tomorrow. And it focuses on all the drama that happened with Bon Appetit. And obviously, I was talking to you guys all about that last year when it came out. And the first episode is very well done. It's making a point of only talking to the people of color who were screwed over by Bon Appetit in many ways instead of right off the bat giving a voice to the white people who worked at Bon Appetit. And again, I just think it's really well done and really interesting. And I'm so excited for the next episode. Like I was so sad I couldn't binge it. And I thought it was additionally hilarious that hilarious is the wrong word, but you know, fitting, I guess that Alex Delaney announced his departure from Bon Appetit on the very same day that that podcast hit the airwaves and he was like, you know, don't worry, I put in my two weeks already, like it's already done. And I was like, well, interesting timing for an announcement. But I don't mean this to be like a ragging on Delaney. Obviously, we've been through it. I was like a huge Alex Delaney fan, but I just, the timing, I couldn't get over it. I stumbled across a Casey Musgraves Rolling Stone article that just came out. I think it just came out today. And I just want to share some little parts of it because I just think she's so cute and I want to be her friend. One time my friend said I was like kind of like a Casey Musgraves vibe and I could have died right there. I just think she's so cool. And this article says that it's hard for her to just zen out because she's an Enneagram 3 wing 4 and the Enneagram 3 is the achiever. The 4 is the individualist. I'm a seven wing six you guys know I'm so into Enneagram so I really liked that I got that little insight into her because I don't think I would have guessed that she's a three because threes can kind of be known as being perfectionist you know high performance high drive just putting a lot of pressure on themselves to really work and produce which she does obviously she's cranking out great music all the time but she's also known as kind of having this stoner vibe so I thought that was an interesting tidbit to learn about her And it says that four days ago, she did a guided mushroom trip, which might sound like an oxymoron, but it's something one can do if one wants to achieve a sense of compassion and calm the heart in fast way. It was not recreational at all, Casey says. It was like mental and spiritual labor, like 10 years of therapy in one sitting. And she goes on to explain that it was overseen by a doctor and it was timed to a seven hour and 40 minute playlist developed by researchers at John Hopkins for this purpose. And she says the most intense part lasted four hours and 
at that time they flooded her with a lot of psilocybin to uh, supposedly fritz out the well-worn synapse connections of habit and personality and she explains it as learning how to kill your ego and you know if you've taken any sort of psych class you know the Freudian idea of ego and how it can misinform you and change your outlook towards yourself and she says the idea is you can embrace your shadow self and your shadow emotions almost as if it's a character that needs love as well and I was just like oh my god you guys know how much I want a controlled psilocybin how much do I have to pay for this experience I mean it sounds very intense but if I can get years of therapy in in seven hours like sign me the hell up I'm about to go google this when we're done with this podcast and figure out how I can get it to go down and then there was this crazy anecdote she says that she worked as a demo tape singer after quitting a job performing at kids birthdays and But the kid in question turned out to be Blake Shelton. So I'm assuming he wasn't a kid at the time, but she was just hired to do like performances at kids' birthdays. And she says she found out after the fact when she turned the job down that it was Blake Shelton. And the guy who was trying to get her to do the job said, yeah, there's a birthday party at the Palm restaurant and it's a famous person and they need a French maid to deliver balloons and sit on the birthday boy's lap. And she was like, yeah, no, I'm not doing that. (laughs) I mean... How crazy would that have been if she had done it and it was Blake Shelton? And then I'm I'm not sure either one of them would have been able to live that down year later, years later. And I really hope that was a friend trying to get that to happen for Blake because if that's what Blake wanted on his birthday, that's disgusting. I hate him and no wonder Miranda divorced his ass. Not that she's without issues too. I mean, Miranda Lambert has got, got some shit going on. Um, And then the other part of this I loved is that there – The reporter and her are in the car together. She apparently drives an Audi. And all of a sudden she says, shit balls. (laughs) And she backs right into the bumper of a Honda SUV. And it says she looks at me wide-eyed, mouth open, and a capital O. (laughs) Shit, what do I do? She says. So she ends up, you know, taking a note. She uses a fake name. She puts her phone number and a promise to make it right. She puts the sticky under the wiper And she says, geez, I don't deserve nice things. And then she just pulls out and goes right back into Nashville. And Kenzie, have I talked about that time with the parking lot menace story on here? I haven't? Okay, I apologize, guys, if I have. But Kenzie knows this story. But in college, I... I ran into a frat guy's car because I parked at a fraternity. It was like the easiest, most convenient place to, to park. And one day I was with my friend and I hit the car next to me. But it was really just a little brush, a little kiss, if you will. And my friend and I, we both got out and we looked at the car and we're like, okay, there's nothing on it. Like, it's, it's completely fine. Like, otherwise I would have left a note. Like, 1,000% I would have left a note. But I really could see no damage. And I was just like, and it was so light. I was just like, let's not make this into more than it needs to be. So I go on my merry way. I'm thinking everything's fine. And to give some context, I was very bad about hitting stationary things when I was young. I hit our own mailbox. Or was it our own? No, it was someone else's mailbox. Yeah, it was my neighbor's mailbox. I plowed down my neighbor's mailbox. I hit a minibus because I used to drive a minibus for one of the extracurriculars that I was in in college. I hit another minibus that was parked. 
I would hit uh, cars all the time that were parked. I just, I had astigmatism. I don't have death perception. Like, thank God for LASIK that maybe helped it a little bit. But to this day, like, I am very ginger about pulling out because I hit a lot of things back in the day. So I guess at this point, it become kind of like the norm for me. And I was just like, I cannot be sticking my insurance on another, my poor parents. Like I can't, I can't do this anymore. So I, I pull off. I think everything's fine. A few days later, I get an email from one of the fraternity brothers of the fraternity I parked at. And mind you, this was not a fraternity like I hung out at. I wasn't really friends with any of them. I had no end there. And he was like, there was a guy working on our roof and he saw you hit uh, so-and-so's car. So like, you need to deal with that. And I was just like, <laughs> so I was like, wow. Um, okay. I got caught. And, <laughs> and fast forward a little bit. No, I'm sorry. Let's not fast forward. Let's finish that part of the story. I, get in an email conversation with the owner of the car I hit and I'm just denying that anything really happened and he sends me these pictures of all of this damage on the side of his car and I was like dude that's not even the side of the car that I hit like you're 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 trying to get like money you're trying to like extort money out of me and this was made all the more awkward that his girlfriend was in my sorority and then, like, I'm pretty sure hated me after this, which I don't blame her. Like, I'm sure from her stance, like, I looked like a total bitch trying to get out of paying for her boyfriend's, like, car damage. But I was on authority that this boy was also a drug dealer. And, um, yeah, I might have used that to my advantage to, like, get him to chill out. This makes me sound so awful and I guess I was like there's no way around it so fast forward this is where we get to the fast forward <laughs> we have a joint sorority meeting with this fraternity and the theme of it was that they were like roasting us with these haikus that they made and they were all really awful like why this was allowed I have no idea but one of them and I wish I could remember it because I'm sure it was beautifully drafted by some Dartmouth fuckboy, uh, called me a parking lot menace. Bailey for the parking lot menace. Um, but again, it was a haiku, so there's more to it than that. But I was in such complete shock because, again, I didn't have friends in this. I was thinking I was like, you know, scot-free, like nothing was going to happen to me at this fraternity meeting. Anyways. Uh, back to Casey, it's revealed at the end of the article that the owner of the Honda had called to report that the scrape was no big deal. She doesn't even like that car anyway. So I just love that little Casey story. We can move into our articles of the day. Let's get into it. Our first article is Fancy Tower for Billionaires Revealed to be Horrifying Hellhole by Amanda Arnold. 432 Park. And it was put up like five years ago and so many ultra ultra wealthy people have shelled out millions of dollars to buy a unit in it one of them was 88 million dollars because these are luxury condos in one of the tallest buildings on an area of manhattan that's known as billionaires row but as the new york times originally reported it turns out that living here was a hellhole because it's falling apart and a lot of it's due to its unreasonable height and design flaws. Because if you look at this building, it is like a skinny little needle. It's so skinny and so tall that you just look at it and you're like, no way can that be sturdy. Like, 
what is holding it up. And beyond that, that it like sways in the wind a lot. It's pretty normal for a high building to sway in the wind, but this one sways a lot. It has a huge plumbing issue and it's caused frequent flooding and extensive water damage. And (laughs) obviously the people who own places in here are pissed. And one of the most hilarious parts about this was that the residents originally were told they would have to pay $1,200 to have a Michelin starred chef restaurant run in the building and they would get free breakfast. Well, now they're being told that they have to spend $15,000 a year and that they no longer get breakfast on the house. And there's a quote from someone named Serena Abramovich, and she bought an apartment for $17 million in 2016. And she says, everybody hates each other here. <laughs> I mean, it's just a really awful situation. But let me tell you, people are taking delight in this. The comments are like, wow, thank you, New York Times. Like this really put some pep in my step this morning because people love to hate on the ultra rich. And Apparently, according to the New York Times article, Jennifer Lopez and A-Rod actually bought a 4,000 square foot apartment there for $15.3 million in 2018, but they sold it a year later. So I don't know if they sold it because they were able to flip it and get a lot of money or if they saw it for the money pit that it was and they were like, gotta get out. So reading articles like this like makes me feel torn because I am all about manifesting abundance and happiness and money. I try not to have a negative relationship with money because sometimes I do feel kind of like self-flagellating about it. I'm like, oh, I don't deserve to have like a lot of money. Like I don't need a lot of money. But at the same time, like I kind of want it, you know, so I can like help everyone out. (laughs) But reading stuff like this, you're just like, okay, like I want to manifest like a good amount of money, a safe amount of money. Like I don't need to be able to buy a $17 million apartment in New York, but I don't know. It's definitely champagne problems. And I just had to talk about it because I'm telling you, people are going in on those comments. Like they just did not give a shit about these poor people with their flooding apartments. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Obviously, guys, we have to talk about this. The biggest takeaways from the Free Britney documentary by Claire Lampin. I originally talked about the Free Britney movement on episode 50 of this podcast And I actually went back and looked at it and I start talking about it around the 14 minute mark if you want to go listen to that if you haven't yet. But you would have had to not be on social media at all this week to not see all of the attention that Framing Britney Spears has gotten over the past week and rightfully so. I actually just saw something that over 1 million tweets have been generated about this documentary and I told you guys last week to watch it. So as you know, it is the one, it's a, a series that the New York Times is doing on different subjects. And in this episode, it was following Britney Spears and her conservatorship. And a lot of it was focused on how the media treated her as a young woman. And as a result of how the media treated her, how the general public treated her. So this cut article goes through some of the takeaways of the documentary. So I'm going to kind of go through them and give my thoughts. So the first was that Brittany was heavily scrutinized by the media starting when she was just 16. And I think this is something we all know about in the back of our heads, because of course we know that iconic Rolling Stones video where she's like holding a a Teletubby, but she's in very short shorts that kind of look like lingerie. And she was underage at the time. And in these interviews that they showed, there's so many clips of her 
people talking about her breasts, how she's always in underwear. And at one point she's like, I wouldn't say I'm always in underwear. Cause she's kind of like, what the fuck? And she is so sweet to all of these interviewers. I mean, it would take everything in me not to smack these people. And it really reminds me kind of like, you know, I was talking last week about how Selena is just so pure. And you look at these women, you're like, you've just been through so much shit from the media. And for the most part, 95% of the time, you present with just the sweetest, nicest, kindest, forward-facing image. And I think to a large part, that is true to who they are. And that's not just a front they put on. And obviously, this is all speculation, but it just makes it literally just made me want to cry. And I think so many people had that revelation, just the objectification, the not treating her like a person. And then the next point was that Britney's ex, Justin Timberlake, allegedly exploited the sexist public perception of her. And this is really highlighted when they show a clip of an interview that Britney did with Diane Sawyer. And she asked, what did you do as in relation to like, what did you do that made Justin Timberlake so sad that he had to write, you know, a sad song? And she said, you're upsetting a lot of mothers in the country. And at this point in the interview, Diane Sawyer tells Britney Spears that the first lady of Maryland stated that she would shoot Britney Spears if given the opportunity. And understandably, Britney is horrified at this comment and Then Sawyer says that it's just indicative of how hard it is to be a parent. And at that point, Brittany just starts sobbing and the interview is cut short. And I thought that part was one of the hardest to watch because you just you want to like reach through the screen and hug her. And another interesting point was Brittany's mother thought that her mental breakdown, quote unquote, might have actually been postpartum depression. And this is something I haven't heard talked about enough. And obviously, I don't think any media outlet or any person or a podcaster, including myself, should be, you know, diagnosing people's mental struggles. But I think it is actually disgusting the lack of open discussion there is about postpartum depression and how we've started to kind of chip away at the stigma of a lot of mental illnesses, I think one of the ones that we don't have an open discourse about is postpartum. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that it's only women and particularly mothers that experience that. And obviously I'm not a mother myself, but I feel like I've read about and talked to people who've had this and just how isolating it can be. I can't imagine going through that and also being Britney Spears, like the most followed harassed star in the world at the time and something I hadn't seen a lot of people write about because I checked on the time in this so her second son was born in September of 2006 the incident where she shaved her head happened in February 2007 so that's pretty close in time that's less than six months apart right yeah yeah and (laughs) I mean I was reading then I went down this dark rabbit hole about when postpartum can set in and how long it can last and it can set in right away or it can set in up to a year later and then it can last for up to three years or longer. It's not again, it's not super studied. It's not super known. And I think with a lot of mental illnesses, sometimes it becomes hard to pinpoint exactly when things like that start and end. But 
again, not trying to diagnose her, but even that aside, let's say she didn't have diagnosable postpartum depression. She had just given birth to her son and she was being harassed by the media 24-7. She was fighting with Kevin Federline over custody of her kids. Uh, And one of the things that people said, it was one of the tattoo artists, I believe, who was there when she shaved her own head. She said, I just don't want to be touched. Like she was so sick of people pulling at her hair, doing her hair, constantly touching her. And I think it was, again, just surmising, such an invasion of her space. And this maybe just represented a certain freedom for her. I was actually listening to Nicole Byers podcast the other day, uh, Why Won't You Date Me? And she had Tiffany Haddish on and she asked Tiffany why she shaved her head. And I thought her response was so fascinating. It was something I'd never heard before. And she was like, you know, I just lived my whole life with having hair on my head. And she's like, I wanted to feel what it felt like to just have like a bare head. I, she's like, I wanted to experience that. And she's like, I literally at one point started crying because I felt the wind on my head. And she's like, it was so beautiful and so freeing. And she's like, I just couldn't believe that men got to experience this all the time. And this was the first time I was getting to experience this because I had felt so like tied to like having hair. And that just like blew my mind actually. And I was like, wow, like why, why were we so quick to think that shaving her head was a mental breakdown? Like maybe that really was just a form of freedom and self-expression for her. Okay, next point, that Jamie Spears, who's her father, wasn't particularly involved in his daughter's life before he became a conservator. Whenever I see things about Jamie Spears, it always reminds me of similarities to Jessica Simpson's father because it was a similar situation with him where I felt like she had a closer relationship with her mother, but her dad really inserted himself in managing her financial affairs and in my opinion, took advantage of the situation and made things really hard on Jessica and their relationship is kind of strained. So read her book. I did a podcast episode on that too, um, her book, Open Book, which is one of my favorite celebrity memoirs and I've read a lot. Uh, You know, and the other thing that was going on with Jamie Spears that I don't know if they touched on this in framing Britney Spears, but Britney only had 30% custody And I think one of the contributing factors to this was Kevin Federline got a restraining order against Jamie Spears because Kevin claimed that Jamie abused Preston. And I think that's something a lot of people are having trouble getting their head around. Like, how could the same man who's stopping you from being able to be with your kids to a certain extent, the one who's now in charge of your conservatorship? You know, I think that's like what kind of off to a lot of people and I would agree with that and the next point says there's very little way to glean the reality of Britney's situation without more transparency about the relationship so it is public knowledge that as of November the it was argued that her father permanently should be removed from her conservator role his role as conservator and it was stated that she was afraid of him and would not perform as long as he was in charge of her career and the article goes on to say it's impossible to guess at the potential caveats of Britney's personal life and mental health without firsthand knowledge of what the conservatorship entails. And it got me thinking of the danger of our current narrative. Like, in so many ways, we're still speaking for Britney. She did not participate in this documentary. And it noted in it that they're not sure if their requests for comments ever actually 
got to Britney because they were having to go through her publicist, etc. But it becomes this really meta situation because you're like, okay, yes, clearly this document or documentary is pro Britney. I would say, I would say it's just as the nature of what it covers. You feel for Britney. I don't want to say it's biased towards her, but you just can't help but seeing her side of it. But at the same time, this is only her story to tell. And anything else we hear about it is always going to be through the lens of someone else. And so I wanted to see what the director had to say about this. And she actually commented that this was an issue for her. She said, there's a big ethical conflict for me in making a film where the central person in it isn't participating. She told this to Entertainment Tonight. It's really something that I've been thinking about this entire time that's really challenging. I guess I'd want to say to her, call me. I want to hear your side. And I actually think this was really well framed by Britney's Instagram, which said, and I guess whether you believe she runs it or not, but I think she does have input and posts like what is on there, in my opinion. It says, I always love being on stage, but I'm taking the time to learn and be a normal person. Each person has their story and their take on other people's stories. Remember, no matter what we think we know about a person's life, it's nothing compared to the actual person living behind the lens. And I think it's hard not to view that as a direct response to this documentary. And I also read a few more comments from the director and I thought it was really intriguing the process she had to go through to get people who were willing to go on record. And she said there was a spreadsheet with hundreds and hundreds of people and they were calling, they had three people calling everyone because obviously the New York times was behind this. So they had a lot of power and a lot of pull as far as getting people to come on, but everyone was saying no. She said there was so many barriers because the court documents are sealed. The doctors who are involved in those and all of the court appointed people, they obviously are protecting the privacy of their client, which they legally have to do. And then there was the barriers of so many NDAs being involved because so many people around Brittany have signed NDAs and obviously they are fearful of being sued. And that's pretty normal, I'd say, with people who are close to celebrities, most celebrity assistants, anyone who works closely with them is going to sign an NDA. But people were just scared and didn't want to get sued. And apparently Jamie's team has sued fans before. So the legal threat is pretty real to them. And she's like, the director's like, you know, we're the New York Times, so we weren't worried. We wanted to go after everyone. But she says that they've definitely gotten calls from lawyers. And I wanted to bring up a TikTok I saw. And I, I hate it that I cannot remember the name of this woman's TikTok. But I'm sure if you Google like hairdresser TikTok Britney Spears, it'll come up. And again, this is full speculation. She does not say this is about Britney Spears, but I still think it was worth sharing because she says that she was doing a very famous singers. I think she says pop stars hair and the pop star was like, hey, would you want to do like a, a workout class with me? And then she asks the hairdresser if she can see her phone. She's like, yeah, I, I left my phone at home. Can I see it? And she's like, oh, sure, of course. And then one of the star's assistants comes in and tells the hairdresser, you can't do that. Like, you will get fired if you give her your phone. Now, again, who this could literally be, it's TikTok. Like, I'm not saying there's any legitimacy to this, but let me tell you, everyone is thinking this is about Britney Spears. And there's been a lot of rumblings of it being a very tight ship involved around her. So I don't know. Again, guys, this is something I want to dive into even more. I'm just kind of giving you the highlights right now. But this is something like <laughs> there could be literal like college classes on all of this. There's so much you can go into. 
And before we get, move on, I wanted to say I found the interview with her older brother, Brian, super enlightening because he just seemed like a shithead. She, he gave me the impression that his stance is, well, she's a woman, a woman, all women are crazy. And yeah, she doesn't love the conservatorship, but so what? Who cares? And I was shocked he actually talked about it in an interview like that in kind of such a nonchalant way. But ew, he gave me the heebie-jeebies. I'm like, okay, the men in that family? No, thank you. And also, just if you watched it, how cute was Felicia? I've missed her. Like, I watched, like, every documentary. I watched her reality show when it came out on MTV. And while I'm not as, like, deep in, like, the fandom of Britney's music as so many people are, and I respect them so much, who, like, I've always loved her music, but I've never, like, really, de- you know, I don't, I'm not familiar with, like, every single track she's ever done. But I was always so fascinated by Britney, and I think that's part of the reason like the media was so hard on her because so many people just were so fascinated by her and they are to this day she really has that x factor no pun intended I know she was a judge on x factor that it's really hard to pull your eyes away from and I think it just goes to speak about what a unique talent she is and we have to talk about this next article just to briefly mention it and it's Britney Spears' boyfriend has some harsh words about her dad this is by Madeline Aguilar so this week, her boyfriend, whose name Sam Asghari, I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong, he is an Iranian actor and model, spoke out about her dad. He posted on Instagram, he said, it's important for people to understand that I have zero respect for someone trying to control our relationship and constantly throwing obstacles our way. In my opinion, Jamie is a total dick. And the timing of that comment seemed pointed because the documentary came out last Friday and then today oh shoot guys I meant to check what actually ended up happening on this because when I was writing my notes it was it hadn't happened yet but she had a hearing today um with her conservatorship it was expected to include a discussion of what role the co-conservators would play in overseeing her state because a state because if you remember in the last hearing in November Jamie was not removed as a conservator but Bessemer Trust who's who Brittany wanted was added as a co-conservator so I think this hearing was to kind of figure out how those roles would intertwine okay next up how priyanka chopra jonas gets it done by hope reese now pre pre has been making the interview circuits to talk about her book which was released on oh it was released on february 9th it's called unfinished Now, what drew me into this article is because before it even starts, it says the cuts editors do want to acknowledge that we missed the mark in a previous piece about Chopra Jonas, and we rightfully heard from our readers about it. This was a mistake, and we apologize to our readers as well as to Chopra Jonas and her husband, Nick Jonas. We're happy to have spoken to her recently. Here's how she gets it done, because The Cut does this series of articles where they speak to women and ask them like how they get everything done in a day. Now, what struck me about this is she says she starts her morning with a large espresso, and that was normal. I can get behind that. But then she says she has an espresso machine in her bedroom. And I'm like, at first I was kind of like, oh, that's kind of weird. And then I was like, wait, is that kind of genius? Like, if I had room, I would be totally down for that. You wouldn't have to move off your bed. You just like roll over, you wake up, and you get your espresso. But for the rest of this, I found her answers a little bit canned uh because she spoke about how vulnerable she gets in her book but then I didn't get a lot out of this interview as far as like who she is as a person but they did ask her about social media criticism and this was kind of the vibe of like I'm gonna read you part of this and this was kind of the vibe of the whole interview 
she says, uh, now I've been a public person for most of my life. It comes with brickbacks and bouquets. I think brickbats is a Indian term. Someone correct me on that. You make that deal with the devil. The fact that I'm going to do this job and I'm for consumption, news about me is for consumption. I made peace with that 20 years ago. So it doesn't bother me unless it affects my work or my family. So no shade to, and it goes on, no shade at all to this response. I think it's like very well said and very true of kind of almost how you have to handle it to not succumb to the insane amount of pressure the media puts on women in the public eye. Hello, Brittany. Um, But of course, I had to go pull up the article that The Cut apologized for. And I had to get this. It was like on a way back machine thing because The Cut deleted it from their site. But I thought this would be an interesting deep cut article for today as we go back into the archives. And I know it's only a few years back because it was from 2018, but it's still a throwback. And so the article that got so much shit is called Is Priyanka Chopra Nick Jonas's Love for Real? Now, the problem was the only article that I could find in the Wayback Machine, it was the only already edited article. The original one that was posted was quickly taken down. So I read other articles. So this comes from the Washington Post. And It started out with Nicholas Jonas married into a fraudulent relationship against his will this past Saturday, December the 1st. And I'll tell you why I think so. And then the article goes on to claim that Chopra planned to make Jonas her forever bitch and that all Nick wanted was a possible fling with Hollywood's latest it woman. But instead, he wound up staring straight at a life sentence with a global scam artist. And then there was some comments about Priyanka's love for luxury goods and what that says about her character you know not not great and so people really dragged Mariah the author of this article and and again I totally see where they're coming from because calling Priyanka a scam artist and I think you know they they were like okay so it's racist it's like not respecting this uh Southeast Asian woman it's not respecting all she's done all of the fame that she has I mean she is she is one of like the biggest Bollywood stars she has international fame on a level that I think as Americans we don't even really comprehend and just kind of going in like like the fact that it called her a scam artist but it's it it got me thinking again I was like I was literally spiraling because I was like oh my gosh like I could have read this like and just thought of it as like the tongue-in-cheek way that the cut speaks and I'm like how many times have I contributed to like this like objectification of women on this podcast? And it's such a hard line because I love speaking about pop culture. I love commenting on it. But you really do start to wonder, am I just a part of this machine? Like, <laughs> and you really start to spiral. But I, I actually wanted to speak with Mariah and get her side of it. And I thought about reaching out to her on DM. But I'm like, oh, my God, she literally just released her own podcast yesterday. Um, about reality TV shows and I was like I cannot like be bringing up what was probably like a very hard time in her life that she doesn't want to revisit but I kind of I am so fascinated with how the pushback from this affected her because I think Chopra really handled this in stride she was kind of like you know like I get things written about me all the time like this doesn't bother me I'm married to the man in my dreams like I don't care what the cut is writing about me um but Mariah really got dragged through this shit for this. 
So again, I, I would love to speak with her. I would actually just love to have her on since she has a whole podcast about reality stars. So I think it's called Spectacles. I read it down somewhere and now I can't find it. Um, but now I think it's for, I think about this a lot. You guys, our new segment. Are you ready? So again, this is something that Kenzie brought to my attention and I have now thought about it all the time. And she also thinks about it all the time. So this story originally came from a publication called Cream Magazine. And they reported that Robert Pattinson took a fan out to dinner because he was chronically bored. He was 25 years old at the time. He was filming the Salvador Dali biopic, Little Ashes. Never seen it. Have you seen it? It was back in 2008. And there was a female fan who was literally like outside of his house all the time and finally one day he was like I just went out and asked her if she wanted to go to dinner he said I was playing Salvador Dali in Spain and there was this one girl waiting outside my apartment every day for about three weeks there was one day when I was just so chronically bored I said to her do you want to go to dinner or something no one else wants to hang out with me her parents had a restaurant she took me there I complained about everything in my life for two hours then she gave me the bill to pay and was never back outside my apartment ever again (laughs) so I did and I think about this a lot back in episode seven I mean throwback guys where please go listen to it because it is one it's one of my favorite stories it's about Rob Pattinson lying about seeing a clown die at the circus oh my god and he totally he admitted to lying about it like years later so Kenzie I know you think about this a lot I have a couple questions for you do you think he's lying about this story as well and why do you think about this all the time well, one, I think about this a lot because even if he even if he is lying, I, I honestly don't know. I look at Robert Pattinson and I'm like someone could say you can guess what's going on in his head and you get it right and you get two billion dollars and I would lose that because that kid has got everything and nothing going on all at once, uh, just behind those eyes. Um, so I really I cannot honestly say if I know he's lying or not. I just think it's so funny though the idea of it's like, I mean this. Uh, when, when I read it, I mean people were likening it to not even a fan. It was a, a stalker essentially, yes. is what it was called. And he like the fact that Robert Pattinson could be bored enough to not even be deterred by this stalker that he's just like. Do you want to get dinner? And then what I what I really want to know is like what what were the complaints? Like what what were you complaining about? Was it about the movie? Was it about like the town? Ta- what was it? Like I'm dying to know because again, Robert Pattinson is an enigma to me, and I am so fascinated by him. I agree with that. Like he's such an enigma to me too, but at the same time he gives kind of these really raw interviews. And it blows my mind cuz I'm like is it all just a facade? Like does he just really love messing with the media? Like the pasta story? Like do we think the whole pasta micro was it all fake? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, go back and listen to that episode too, guys. We Rob Pattinson is a fave to talk about here cuz he is wacky. And <laughs> We also discovered, we were like, Kenzie's like, I my dream guest for Kind of Cute, Kenzie says this, is Rob Pattinson, which is such far shooting, but, you know, reach for the stars. And she's like, you guys both seem like you have, like, mental breakdowns before you have to deal with people. And that is so true. If 
I get myself so worked up if I have to have a social interaction. Like I've been contemplating lately, like taking my old beta blockers out of the, the pantry or what, what is it? The medicine, the medicine cabinet. The medicine cabinet. They're probably expired, but I'm like, I think I took them like one time and I'm like, I think I might need to go back to my beta blockers because I get myself in a freaking tizzy over nothing. And I think Robert deals with that too. And we were discussing that and we were like, I just, I said, you know, I really just get earth, earth uh, sign vibes from him. And lo and behold, he is a Taurus. And it just makes a lot of sense from a house full of earth signs here. So we might never know if this story was real or not. But I just want to leave you with that. And uh, oh, you know what I really want to know? I, this, I just saw this note to myself. Who was the girl? Why has she never come out? That's what makes me think this is fake. Who is the stalker? Yeah. If you are out there, please come on this podcast. I will pay you. I will give you a gift. Like, I, I don't I don't know if that's legal for journalism, but like, I will give you something. I'll let you come stay in my house for free and we can talk. Yeah, we can go out to dinner and I won't complain for two hours. Okay, guys, I've rambled on enough. This might be like my longest episode ever. It's time for legit shit. And obviously, what has been going on with all the hate crimes towards Asian Americans in this country I don't have words for. So I wanted to just highlight a company that is, uh, it's, I think it's actually owned by a couple. It's an Asian woman. I, I believe her husband's white, but they are a Taiwanese tea house. And Kinsey and I went there one time. We were in New York and we have such fond memories of it. And they have the best pineapple Linzer cookies. They are so delicious, right? They're so good. So yeah. Good. And you can buy them online. I love shipping these as like thank you gifts. I sent them to my grandma. She loved them. They're just so delicious. Like any anyone will like this cookie. And I just think they're the cutest little store. And I don't know how they're doing in COVID. And I think it'd be great if you supported them and bought some tea, buy some cookies. They have a cute little snack box going on right now. So I will see you next week, guys. Bye. <laughs>